Well, why don't you guys stand up today? We're in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Good to see you all. Well, thanks. I love you and you and you and everybody. Verse 1, we got 21 verses or so to read today, all right? The Bible says in verse 1, chapter 3, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. You guys know Nicodemus? This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, classic answer here, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, excuse me, he didn't say that, I said that. Nicodemus said to him, how can a Man be born when he's old. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't don't freak out, bro. That's what that means. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows Where it wishes, by the way, the word wind in Greek is pneuma. That's the same Greek word we get the word spirit from. So you can see the play on words here. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, he still doesn't get it, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And Father, thank you so much for this amazing moment 2,000 years ago. God, the glimpse that we have to be able to peer into this conversation and, and to see this exchange between a very religious, self righteous man and your only begotten Son. We pray today that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon this place. God, we pray for new birth. Father, we pray that that there would be hearts that would be forever changed through the power of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. Well, a hundred years ago, a hundred years ago when I went to college, that's what it seems like, it seems like it was 100 years ago. 100 years ago, when I went to UC Irvine, you know, I really went with the intention to uh, just to party and have a good time. I really didn't care about education. And, uh, and that was the plan. That was the path that I was on. I was all excited. I showed up to um, the college. I was in my dorm room. My, my, my roommate, whom I did not know, rolled into the room, unscrolled a poster, and as I've told you a thousand times, put it over my bed, beautiful picture of the sea waves crashing on the rocks, and then up in this, you know, against the blue sky was this scripture verse, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And, and, and so, you know, that poster went up and I picked up the phone immediately and called my friends and I said, man, you are not going to believe what happened to me. This is the worst possible thing. I mean, it's not just that I have a Christian for a roommate. That would be bad enough. I've got a born again Christian for a roommate, right? Because in my, yeah. <laughs> But in my mind, those two things were different things, right? You had your everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christian, and then you had Jesus freaks, cra crazy people, right? People that, that had lost their minds and had like gone head over heels in their relationship with this Jesus of Nazareth. And, you know, as I look back, I think, man, I mean, obviously, you know, some 20-plus years down the road, um, obviously, my perception of that scene was not right. Obviously, you know, I had drawn a, a, a false contrast between what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be a born-again Christian. I think sometimes we do that. You know, we think that there are two categories um, in Christianity. You have your, your everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christian, and then you have, you have those born-againers. But I want to tell you today, being born again is not a select category in Christianity reserved for overzealous Jesus freaks. It is a description of what really happens to every person who truly believes in Jesus and chooses to be his follower. So it's not some, it's not some select category in Christianity, like I said, reserved for Jesus freaks. This is really being born again I think is the best way to describe our Christianity because it's what really happens to us when we choose to believe in Jesus, when we choose to believe, when we choose to be his follower. In fact, I would say to you today, if you are a Christian, you believed in Jesus, then you can say today, I am born again. Can you say that today with me? <clears throat> I didn't ask you to clap, kids. I, I mean, it's good, but I want you to say it today. If you're a if you're a Jesus-loving, Jesus-following, hold, hold the word for you for a second. <laughs> Jesus-following Christian, I just want you to say, I am born again. Go ahead and say it. Now, the reality is the vast majority in our country claim to be Christian, but it's evident that a good portion of them have not been born again. It is different having the name Christian and having the nature of a Christian. In fact, Spurgeon said this. He said, having the name Christian is not the same as having the nature of a Christian. And I think that Jesus really does kind of show us the trajectory of this in his dialogue with Nicodemus. If you're familiar with the story, then you know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Um, he belonged to this particular sect in Judaism that considered themselves to be the religious elite. They called themselves the separate ones. You know, they had, they had become professionals in meticulously following the law, and they really did base their standing before God on their own sense of self-righteousness. And yet, you know, for Nicodemus, and Nicodemus wasn't just a Pharisee, uh, we see evidently that he was also the teacher of Israel. You know, if you were going to take Christianity and, and, and look at all of the teachers that uh, are in our country, you know, preaching from pulpits today and say, man, that is the person really that is the teacher uh, in Christianity today. Well, that was Nicodemus in Judaism 2,000 years ago. He was the instructor. He was the one who was uh, fully knowledgeable of the law and the way of God in the Old Testament and he was also the one that taught these precepts to the people, and probably not just taught the precepts to the people, but taught the people who were teaching the precepts to the people. And he comes to Jesus because his interest in is aroused, and even though they were not um, publicly disclosing this, there was a conversation that there was something happening in this, this uh, rabbi's, this upstart rabbi from Nazareth, something happening in his life that was evidently from God because he says himself, you know, no one can do the things that you do unless God be with him. 
And I just love the way that Jesus responds and cuts to the chase. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't play around with religious conversation. He's not beating around the bush. He just says straight up to, to Nicodemus, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Man, what an exclusive statement, no doubt, that might have made even Nicodemus bristle a little bit. Nicodemus, you've come and you've given these overtures of interest because, you know, in some sense your interest has been aroused, but I'm just going to cut to the chase here. If you really want God, you have to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, what does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of God? He means the reign of God in loving relationship over your heart and soul. That's what Jesus means in this context when he's talking about the kingdom of God. Like I said, he cuts to the chase, he gets to the point, and he says to Nicodemus, you can't experience the reign of God in a loving, personal relationship over your heart and soul unless there's something that happens in your life, unless you're born again. Now, I want you to think about this, and we're going to contrast in the next few weeks Nicodemus from the Samaritan woman, but Nicodemus was at the pinnacle of the religious system. I mean, if anybody, I just, you got to think about this. If anybody could have said, hey, I've, I've dialed it in, I've followed as much as I could, you know, I've dotted my I's, I've crossed my T's, I've done everything that God says I'm supposed to do, and through my works, I have good standing before him, like that's Nicodemus. His religious life was dialed in. He was a religiously respectable individual honored among the people and yet Jesus here seemingly has the audacity to say to him in light of that it's not enough it's just not enough like you've you have you've got it all dialed in and in fact you're the teacher of Israel you have this preeminent place among the people and yet there's still something else you need Nicodemus and not only that but it's something that only I can give you You know, I venture to say today that there are all sorts of reasons represented in this room why we've come, why we've gathered. For some of us, you know what, for some of you, you are a Jesus freak, and you you can be happy about that today. You can be unashamed. You can be unashamed of that. You know, some of you, you are. You're in love with the Lord. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. For some others, it's like, well, you know, you feel good because you can come to this place and get a little religious knowledge, and having a little religious knowledge makes you feel a little more self-confident, self-confident today, and then if maybe perchance, you know, because, you know, you're, you're, you're a person that, that's, that's careful with the gamble, If perchance there is life after death, you've at least got a little religious knowledge under your belt so that if there is a God, you might be okay if you stand before him face to face. Some of you, you you, you come on a Sunday from time to time because church makes you feel good. And I'm glad that gathering with God's people does make you feel good. But you know, it's crazy out there. There's a lot of turbulence and tumult out in the world and so you know you you come and you're present because being present gives you a feeling on the inside a good feeling an uplifting feeling i would venture to say today that some of you you gather with christians because you know christians are the social group that you identify the most with it's not necessarily that you are a christian but you take you know your political point of view, or maybe you take your uh, social point of view, or you take your uh, moral point of view, and it's like, well, you know, you've not fully committed yourself to following Christ, but, but as far as groups go and subcultures go, Christians are the, the closest thing that you can identify with, and so you know that's one of the reasons that you gather with God's people on a Sunday morning. Or, you know, maybe for some of you, it's like, it's like you, just, you just know that how you've lived your life is really not pleasing to God. And, and you know, you're not necessarily settled on whether or not there is a God, but you know how you've lived your life, if there is a God, is not pleasing to him. And so you come to church to kind of make up 
for those things that you know that you've done that have been displeasing to him. And I just want to say to you um, that none of those things, none of those things are able to bring you to a place where one day you will be able to see the kingdom of God in the life to come or in this life now. Jesus' insistence on being born again silences human-centered efforts to reach God. Here you had a person who, who was living in a way that seemed from the outside to be everything that God wanted, and yet it still was not enough. It was not enough. It wasn't that Jesus said, hey, you know what, Nicodemus, it would help you out a little bit if you were born again. He didn't say to Nicodemus, you know, it would be nice if you could be born again. He said, you must be born again. Unless one is, he puts it in the negative, unless one is born again, he cannot, she cannot see the kingdom of God. Today, you know, you, you are thinking, because really you're not listening to what I'm saying, you're thinking about the Raiders and the Broncos game. And... Um, and so, and, and so, you know, you're thinking, you know what, I think I'll just, I think what I'll do is I'll skate on down to Allegiant Stadium and, and um, I'm going to go check the game out. I'm going to go check the game out. And so, you, you know, you, you get in the car after service and I don't even know when the game is, what time it is, but you're heading on down. You get to the gate uh, where everyone's tickets are being checked and you come up and the person says to you, hey, do you have your ticket? And you say, well, no, I don't have a ticket. I just want to see the game. I just, you know, let me pass. I have spoken. <laughs> and they say, dude, you're not getting in the game unless you've got a ticket. And, and you say, well, you know what? That's not the way I want it to work. I don't, didn't have the time to get a ticket. I really don't have the money to get a ticket. And anyway, this is Las Vegas' team, and I've lived in Las Vegas for all of my life, so I should be able to... I should have the right to be able to watch the game. You know the person's gonna, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna call security and they're gonna have you dragged away because you're not getting into the game unless you have the ticket. And what Jesus is saying is you're not getting into the kingdom. You're not getting into the kingdom. You're not gonna experience the kingdom. You're not gonna be in a place where you're going to experience and encounter the loving rule and reign of God relationally over your heart and soul, and the ticket isn't your good works. The ticket, is, the ticket isn't how much you help the poor. The, the, ticket is, the ticket is not the fact that you come to church and there's these religious rituals that you go through and, and, and you know that you have felt good and there's moments where you've warmed yourself by the fire of other people's worship. That's not going to be the ticket that gets you in. The ticket that gets you in is being born again by the Spirit of God. And apart from that, apart from that, you'll never see God. Well, obviously Nicodemus had a struggle with this because he was viewing this from the flesh. And so he's like, how can that happen? How can it happen? How can a man be born when he's already old? Can he crawl into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Like, I mean, I don't think that he's being derogatory or difficult. I really sincerely think that Nicodemus just didn't get it. He didn't understand that Jesus was talking about two births. There is the physical birth and the spiritual birth. There is the birth that happens through the flesh and then there is the birth that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And make no mistake about it, you know, you could say today as you're reading this, well, listen, how could he have known? How could he have known? Like, I mean, Jesus just rolls in and drops this new concept, this new ideology on the Israelites of the time. How could they have ever even known that it required a work of the Holy Spirit? And I say to you, because God had, God had said, because God had said in the Old Testament, in fact, God was so clear on the coming work that he was going to do in his people and the world through the Holy Spirit. He was so clear that Jesus had the expectation that Nicodemus would have known this. How can you call yourself the teacher of Israel and not know these things? Like you should have been looking for this. I, you know, I think, I, I don't know why Nicodemus was in a place as a spiritual leader where he could only see through the lens of the flesh, but I 
have a feeling it was because of his religious ritualism that it had become a substitute for real relationship with God. I just have this sense that his religious ritualism, performing these works over and over and over again, somehow had decreased that intimacy and connection with God that maybe he had at one point in his life and had obscured his spiritual ability to see. I think that can happen to us as Christians. You know, I think that can happen to us as Christians. I think that, you know, it's happened in my life, you know, where, where we're engaging in spiritual rhythms or rituals that are there for sure good, don't get me wrong, but sometimes you know, over the course of time, uh, something happens within our hearts and they become a substitute for a real, vibrant, intimate connection, relationship with God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Where, where today we can be like the Israelites of old where they're coming to temple and they're celebrating the feast and there's all of this religious work that's happening and yet somehow over the course of time there's been this disconnect between, between God and his people. Like make no mistake about it, Joel chapter two verse 28, Peter would quote this on the day of Pentecost. This was the expectation. It will come to pass afterward that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. This was their expectation. Ezekiel 36, 26, Nicodemus should have known this. He said, uh, God did, speaking in a sense of looking forward to this amazing work that he would do. He said, I will give you a new heart a new spirit I will put in you. Jesus says, don't stumble over this, man. You know what, let me give you an illustration. He uses, he uses metaphors and Old Testament stories to try to get Nicodemus to understand what he's talking about. He's like, you know it's like the wind, Nicodemus. Hey, bro, it's like the wind. You don't know where the wind comes from, you don't know where the wind goes, but, but you can see the evidence of it. That is like the work of the Holy Spirit. While the Holy Spirit is invisible, the evidence of his working is plain for everyone to see. Here, even in Las Vegas, we were walking the other night and the wind was blowing, and you see the evidence. Trees are bending, leaves are rustling, waves are building if you're out on Lake Mead, which there isn't really much left of Lake Mead, so there's not many waves that are building. You can hear the sound of the wind blowing through the trees. You don't necessarily know where it's coming or where it goes, but you can see the evidence of it. That is the same thing in the life of a person who's been touched by the Spirit of God. There's change, there's transformation. Hey, I wanna say to you today, spiritual rebirth does not come through spiritism, it doesn't come through new ageism, it doesn't come through crystals, cards, or chants, it comes through the regeneration of God's Holy Spirit. Your spirit being regenerated by the Spirit of God. You can give him praise for that. And I think, I, think, I think John had uh, in mind, and I think Jesus had this in mind too, the picture of creation. Remember, that's the motif, that's the metaphor that we started this gospel account with on uh, the day of creation, Genesis chapter one, verse one, there was the earth, it was without form, it was void, it was desolate, darkness covered the face of the earth, and the Bible says that the spirit hovered over the face of the waters, and then God spoke, let there be light, and that which was voidless and dark and uh, maybe in a, a place of destruction and decay all of a sudden was filled with life. And I think that motif is exactly uh, illustrative. I mean, we can really see what God has done in our life through that Old Testament motif because that was us. There was an emptiness. There was a void. There was a spiritual disconnect. We were born spiritually dead. And then when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit touched us and took that which was dead in us and caused it to be alive. The spirit that was dead was regenerated by the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
And then all of a sudden, what was birthed in you was a desire for those things that were spiritual. Maybe things that, you know, you used to criticize Christians for. I remember for me, it was like, man, dumb book, dumb clothes, dumb music, dumb people. And then I got saved, and I'm like, great people, great book, great songs. And you know, what happened? What happened? It was the Holy Spirit touching my heart that made that transformation. I wasn't intellectually argued into all of a sudden having an affinity for God's people. It was the work of God in my heart, and it was the work of God in your heart. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, this is just a great verse that, that really does describe that internal work that God did via the agency of his Holy Spirit. The Bible says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared to us, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that's what happened on the inside. The Spirit of God washed you with his power and caused your dead spirit to come to life, renewing you, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And Peter says this, he says, he has caused us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has caused us. Has that happened to you? Has God done that work in your life? Have you experienced the transforming work of God's Holy Spirit? Well, this work only comes through believing in Jesus Christ. In this dialogue with Nicodemus, this is the next step that, that Jesus takes. He begins to describe to him the reality of the coming of the Son of Man. No one ascended into heaven. He who was in heaven has descended. We're in verse 13. He who was in heaven descended. In fact, this is the purpose of the coming of the only begotten Son of God. Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus didn't come just to give us a good example to follow. And G Jesus didn't come just to lay out a, another one of the great religions for people to commit themselves to. Jesus came so that people who were spiritually dead could be reborn. And he gives, he gives an illustration to Nicodemus because, you know, Nicodemus probably at this point is starting to warm up to the idea, but he still just doesn't seem to get it. So he's like, hey, Nick, listen, let me like, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you, all right? You know the story, it's like Bible time, I think maybe Jesus got his flannel graph out, and he's like, you remember the story of Moses, and when he lifted the serpent in the wilderness, do you remember that? Does, that? does that ring a bell to you? Well, just like what happened in that situation, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus, now the gears are turning in his mind. He's like, okay, let me rethink that story. Numbers chapter 21, there weren't chapters back then, but just for your sake, if you want to check it out later. Numbers 21, he's thinking, okay, the children of Israel, uh, there were great things that God did, miracles that he poured out, victories that he had given, and then almost all of a sudden they started to grumble and complain. They started to murmur. Not that any of you guys murmur here today, but... And grumble and complain against God, you know. They, they got all frustrated because things weren't going the way that they wanted them to go, even though God had done all these great things. And so there was this, like, tumultuous moment among the, among the Israelites, and they were complaining against God. And so what did God do? God sent fiery serpents among them, and those fiery serpents bit them, uh, very venomous. And once you were bitten by the snake... It was over, you, it, was, it was history, you, you were dead. They recognized that this was, could you imagine if God did that today? Like what if, what if, what if today God's like, hey by the way I'm gonna send some snakes and everyone who complained against me this week? Some of you just got really nervous, you're like, thank God he doesn't do that, right? So all of these people now are suffering because they've been snake bitten and they cry out to Moses and they're like man, Call, call God off, intercede for us, please. And so Moses prays, and God says to Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a bronze serpent and attach it to a staff and set the staff up, 
and everyone who looks at the staff, even though they deserve to die, they'll live. We'll take that as a word from God. That was perfect timing, all right? Thank you. That was not, not rehearsed, by the way. So everyone who looks to the staff, looks to the serpent and believes, like, you know, saying this is the situation, this is what God has established, and as I look to the staff, I'm believing that even though I deserve death, even though I've been bitten by the snake, I'm going to receive the grace of God, and I'm going to be allowed to live. Jesus says, just like that, God has sent his only son who must be lifted up. We're talking about his crucifixion. Obviously, Nicodemus didn't know this yet. This is speaking in a forward sense. Who must be lifted up in crucifixion and also in exaltation and glory so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting or eternal life. So just as the Israelites had sinned against God, were bitten by the snake, and deserved to die, when they chose to believe in what God had instituted, they would, by God's grace, receive life. And Jesus saying, this is a foreshadow that was a picture of what God would do through me, the only begotten, the high point the, the climax, the apex of the history of Israel in the giving of the only son for not only their sins, but also the sins of the whole world. That whoever has been bitten by the snake, whoever has been bitten by sin and is receiving the just punishment of separation from God and condemnation, when they choose to look to the Son and believe, they will receive the grace of God and eternal life. What is it that God gave? God gave his only begotten Son. Why did God have to give his one and only Son? Because there was no other solution. Sin had to be addressed, it had to be dealt with, and there's no amount of good works that you and I could ever do that would compensate for the sin that we've committed, and so Jesus dealt with our sin at the cross, and he despised the shame of the cross, but he endured it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? Your forgiveness, your reconnection with God, the power of the Holy Spirit causing you to be born into his kingdom. What God gave, he gave his one and only son. Why God gave, John chapter three, verse 16, he gave because of love. He was driven by his love for humanity. He was driven by his love for you. What did he give his son for? As he was motivated by love, he gave his son so that we could have eternal life. Eternal life can be defined like this, the bodily resurrection of God's people to share in the new life in the new heaven and the new earth, which will come when God recreates the present world, a new life that begins in part the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. So when we talk about eternal life, we're talking about this expectation that we have that one day as we believed in Jesus, we will be raised bodily and we will share in a new life in the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to recreate from this present world and that new life begins in part right now when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Look, I want you to think about what that new age is gonna look like. I mean, it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be glorious, it is gonna be without sin. It's gonna be a, a place where the Father and the Lamb are at the center and there's there's uh, eternal bliss in the presence of God. And what we have in this life is evidence and experience, not just the kingdom of God, but the fullness of the kingdom of heaven and all that it offers real time right now because we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. God did it all for you and for me. And all that he's left us to do is to believe how beautifully Simple is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. What does it mean to believe? To determine something is true and to commit your whole life to it. To come to a place where you say, I'm staking my life. I'm placing my hope. I'm committing myself to Jesus Christ. Today, can you say that? 
Are you present here today in this place because you have grounded your faith in the person of Christ? You say, well, listen, I just come because it makes me feel good. Then you haven't really placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You come today because you associate with Christians because, you know, from, a, from the perspective of society, they're the group that you identify with the most. Well, you haven't put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You come today because you know you're a betting person and there is a probability that there's life after this life. And so you just want to make sure you've covered all your bases and so you put a couple bucks in the giving box and, and you sing a couple songs and you're present a couple weeks out of the year because you're just hedging your bets and covering your bases. That is not the same as putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And none of those things will lead you to a place where you are reborn on the inside. It is a real faith response to Jesus that activates the Spirit's regenerating work in you. And listen, this is, this is the beauty of it when you do take that step of faith and you're born again and your life changes from the inside out, your life becomes a picture of the glorious age to come. Like you're living in a world of darkness that's separated from God and you've put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and this is what's happened. Heaven is now connected to you. There's a direct pipeline between you and heaven because you believed in Jesus. And so the fullness of heaven fills your life and there's an overflow. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and self-control. What I'm saying to you today is that, you know, people all the time are like, well, if I could just see heaven, and we should be able to say, well, look at the Christian that you know. Look at the Christian that you know. Because their life, their life is, is a, an encounter with a person of Christ, and they are they are a living representation of the age to come. They have in their life now what every Christian will have in the life to come. Is that you? Does your life look like that? Can people look at your life and say, man, you know what? I'm not perfect, right? Not sinlessly perfect, not free from failures and struggles, but the reality is there's enough heaven operating in our life that we are a picture of the age to come. You know, the other side of this, obviously, that oftentimes remains untold is without faith in Jesus, you remain condemned in your sins. The word condemned means without God. It means that you will continue to live in a condition of being lost in this corrupt world. It means that you are destined to live without God forever. And all of that happens because you've chosen to deny God's gift to the world through his son, Jesus Christ. God today has his arms and hands outstretched to you, and he beckons you to come just as you are, with all of your struggles, with all of your failures, with all of your baggage, with all of the dysfunction, with all of the chaos that you've caused. And maybe for some of you today, you know, it was not an easy journey just to get here. And yet you, you made the track. You know, your thought was, I am so messed up. I'm so ungodly. I'll step into that room and the, the whole roof will just fall down on me because, because I'm that far from God. And the truth is this. God has ordained these circumstances and he has brought you here because he loves you. And today his hand is outstretched to you as he beckons you to come. Not today so that you can feel a little bit better about yourself because you attended a church service, but today that you would have a real encounter with the person of Christ and that God would change you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. The question today is, will you take the outstretched hand of God to you? You know, I was watching this week, and for sure we ought to be praying for the people in Florida as there's just so much devastation, and, and you know, so many people uh, on their rooftops as their, as their neighborhoods have been flooded waiting for search and rescue or waiting for the Coast Guard to fly a helicopter in and rescue them off of their roof. And could you imagine if, you know, as you're watching television, you saw this person that was stranded on a roof and they obviously needed to be rescued, they needed to be saved because without that they would drown as the flood waters were rising. Could you imagine seeing a, a 
Coast Guard helicopter fly in and lower down the cable and, and have a person beckoning that, that individual that's, that's struggling on the rooftop and about to die to grab onto the cable. And can you imagine if that person was like, no, I'll wait for the next helicopter, thank you very much. You know, I'll wait for the next outstretched hand. Um, I'll wait for the next opportunity. No, I mean, obviously, obviously, when you need rescue, you need it now. And every person that's stranded on those rooftops, as the floodwaters are rising, they know it. There's a sense of urgency. And so what do they do? They take the first opportunity that they have, and they reach out to that outstretched hand, and they're rescued. And today, this is what God offers to you. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the end of the day, rejecting Jesus is not a purely intellectual issue. It's a sin issue. Today, you will make the choice to live in the darkness or to live in the light. And that's exactly what he says. People choose to not come to the light because they love their darkness. Sin is the issue, unbelief is the issue, unrighteousness is the issue, stubbornness, wickedness, evil, and pride. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all the activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain yelled out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant ships were on a dangerous collision course. The captain then called to the signalman, signal that ship. We're on a collision course. Advise you, change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advise for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman, second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light, I'm a lighthouse. The person sending the signal said, we changed course. <laughs> and you know what, today, sometimes I believe we need this hard message because some of you need to change your course today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And, and God, we pray that your spirit would be working among us in this place right here, right now. God, we know that there are hearts there are hearts in this room watching online that are desperate to be rescued, that are desperate for the regenerating work of your Holy Spirit. God, that there, there have been rituals that have been done, maybe even prayers that have been prayed, services that have been attended, but there's really never been a spirit that's been reborn. And today, God, by a work of grace, we pray that you, would, that you would enlighten the eyes of understanding. God, that you would turn the, the stubbornness into humility. That you would take the resistance and that you would change it into acceptance. Father, we ask for every heart that remains untouched by heaven. Oh God, may this be the day, may now be the time And today as our eyes are closed, as, as our heads are bowed, just want to really challenge you this morning to take a moment and to make some Real personal evaluation. Have you been born again? Is there the evidence of the regenerating work of God's Holy Spirit in your life today? Is there enough evidence to really 
convict you of being called a Christian because there's no difference between being a Christian and being born again. If you've truly put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Spirit of God will have done this work in your life. I don't know today uh, what reason or motivation you have had in gathering with God's people. I will say this to you today, that God loves you. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you because he sent his only son. The purpose of the coming of Christ was so that, so that you personally could see God's kingdom. So that you could be touched by the power of God. So that you could be born again into God's family. A work that only God's spirit can do. And today, maybe you need to take that step of faith and maybe you need to sincerely commit your life to Jesus Christ. You need to choose to ground your faith in the gospel, to ground your faith in the crucifixion of Christ as he hung on the cross for your sins and took the penalty of your sin that you deserve to bear upon himself. Today you need to choose to believe in his resurrection from the dead and you need to receive the grace and the power and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in your life. This morning if this is you, God is speaking to your heart today and and you know you need to make that decision once and for all. Listen, if there's even a question in your mind, if there's even the slightest doubt, today you need to take a step of faith. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting. You say, Pastor, that's me. I know today I need, to, I need to ground my faith in the person of Christ. I need to choose to believe in him. I'm not sure if I've even been born again. Today, if this is you, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you. God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand here in the center and over here on my right. Thank you. Over here in the back on my right. Anybody else this morning? Stretch your hand up high. There's a step of faith for you to take an assurance that God wants you to be able to leave this place with as you will have settled once and for all your trust in Jesus. Raise your hand today so I can pray for you. Thank you, I see your hand in the back. You can put your hands down. Maybe today, as a Christian, you know uh, you are born again, but there's just been not a lot of heaven shining through your life. And today, you know, you need to recommit your life to Christ. You need your life to exemplify the age that is to come. And this morning, if this is you, I want to give you an opportunity to renew your relationship with the Lord, to renew your commitment to Him. Maybe you've been going through the rituals of Christianity and the, the spiritual rhythms, but you know there's not been a, a lot of intimacy between yourself and God and you just need that renewed this morning. Would you raise your hand today so I can pray for you as well? God bless you, thank you, and see your hand and here in the front and over here on my right and in the back, over here on my left. I see your hand, thank you. I see your hand, thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, thank you so much, God, for these today. God, for this acknowledgement that these hearts and souls have made and for some of them putting their trust and faith in you for the very first time, for some of them, God, needing spiritual renewal. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move upon these hearts 
now as they take this step of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, today, if you raise your hand in prayer, um, I want to lead you in a prayer because you know your relationship with God is be, between you and him through Jesus, not through a pastor and not through a church. God wants a, a personal relationship with you. And so today, if you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of receiving. God's hand is outstretched to you today. You're simply taking the hand of God and receiving what he has for you in this moment. And so if you raise your hand today, what we're going to invite you to do is stand up and come on forward to the front. Stand next to one of our follow-up leaders. Pastor Tony is going to lead us in a song. Maybe you're giving your life to Christ for the very first time. Maybe it's that spiritual renewal. Either way, we want you to stand up right now and come forward. Listen, maybe also you just need a fresh work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. We want to avail ourselves to God in this moment and to let him do that work. So you can stand up right now. Come on forward. I want to lead you in prayer. Turn towards me. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to encourage you to make this your prayer to God. He is he's so good. And he loves you so much. And today he has called you. Today you've responded to his invitation. Today He's going to do a, a beautiful work in your life. Whatever you come with, rest assured as you trust in Jesus today, God is going to answer the needs that you have on your heart. And so I want to lead you in a very simple prayer, and I want to encourage you to pray with uh, faith and pray with anticipation, because as you trust in Christ, God is faithful to fulfill his promises to you. Let's Pray this prayer out loud together. You can follow me this morning. Father, thank you for loving me. And God, I know you do because you gave your son. There's no question. Today I receive Jesus and I receive everything that you give to me through him. Your forgiveness, your grace, your peace and your strength. Renew my spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.